This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 252. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and Christmas season is already here. And so is the fighting season. But before you dig into that turkey, and before you send that list on over to Santa, it's still now very much a time to stay vigilant. Like he's self-made. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company. Myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Hold it. Hold it. If we can, no, I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is what he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? No, you can't. (laughs) This is a hearing. That's Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen who tried to fight labor leader Sean O'Brien at a Senate help committee hearing. Whiskey, tango, foxtrot. Totally unacceptable. In my view, Mullen should resign immediately. And since he won't, the Senate should take bipartisan action. Especially in times like this. We can't have U.S. senators threatening and provoking violence. Our kids are watching. And, of course, our enemies are watching. But I wouldn't accept that crap from the eight-year-olds on my flag football team. We definitely shouldn't accept it from a United States senator. But there's now literally fighting in Washington. There's fighting all around Senator Tuberville, who still hasn't stopped his shenanigans. And there's fighting in Ukraine, and we can't take our eyes off the ball there. And there's fighting in Gaza. This show has always sat at the intersection between national security, politics, and culture. And I've always tried to bring you first-hand accounts, the ground truth from inside and around combat. And as the war in Gaza continues to unfold, I'm not going to make that an exception. So I'm going to reach out to my network and try to bring as many different voices into this conversation as I can. Independent, experienced, thoughtful voices some of whom you might see in other media sources, many of whom you won't. But we're going to keep it real. We're going to bring light to contrast to heat. 
and we're going to look at the fights below the fights and at the fights yet to come. And in this episode, we're going to talk to one of my old friends who's on the ground right now just outside of Gaza in Israel. Ellie Elephant is a real estate CEO, a seasoned real estate investment executive who focuses on entrepreneurial, corporate, and asset-based investment opportunities. He's a strategist on investment strategy and real estate transactions. He has a bachelor's degree from the Interdisciplinary Center at Herzliya, Israel, and an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management here in the U.S. He was a special forces operator and a captain in the Israeli Defense Forces before he came to the United States, married an American woman, and became an American citizen. He now has three children and lives primarily in New York, but his family is still in Israel. And years ago, on a historic trip to Israel, Ellie was my host. We stayed with his family, we ate with his friends, and we traveled all across his country visiting humanitarian organizations, social impact groups, and military bases. We got a really deep personal understanding of what life is like in Israel and why so many in Israel and around the world view Israel's existence as so vital. With Israel now 38 days plus into the experience after the horrible, horrendous, unspeakable attacks by Hamas, and now, pivoting into the military operations inside Gaza, I'm going to try to take you inside, in whatever way I can. Ellie is all the things I mentioned earlier, but he's also a proud American. He's a proud Jew, and he's a proud father of three little boys. He's one of the most sincere, heartfelt, earnest people I know. He's a good man, and he's so proud of the country of his birth, and equally as proud of the country he now calls home. When he told me he hit the ground in Israel, as I knew he would sooner or later, I asked him if he'd come on the show. He doesn't do much media, and I really feel privileged and thankful that he took time away from really important work on the ground to talk to us in this episode. In the weeks to come, I'll try to bring in other perspectives from around the region and from around the fight, and especially to help us understand what you're not seeing in other places and what you might see next. At Independent Americans, we don't want to just discuss what's happening now. We want to talk about what's going to happen next. I want to help you stay ahead of the curve and, of course, stay vigilant. If you like this episode, please be sure to share and subscribe and support us in any way you can. Especially in times like this, independent media and independent Americans will be vital. So welcome to a conversation about the latest inside Israel and Gaza and the region. Welcome to a conversation about how it's all interconnected. Welcome to a conversation about the heart of what it's all about. Welcome to a conversation with a father who has three small children living in fear here in America. A man who has family under attack inside Israel. And a man who has siblings serving in the IDF and a brother-in-law inside Gaza right now. Welcome to a conversation about what's happening and what's happening next. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 252. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. We have for years discovered and explored the intersections of national security, politics, and human stories, and it's never been more needed than right now. We've gone deep into Ukraine, and in the months and weeks to come, I want to go deep into Israel, into Gaza, into the Middle East, and as always, try to bring you authentic voices from important, inspiring, and or iconic Americans, and some of my friends, people that I trust, people that I that I look to for guidance and for inspiration and for perspective. And our guest uh, in this episode is a man who fits that bill. Uh, he is is a real advocate and a champion for many great causes and a friend of mine for almost 20 years. Finally joining us on Independent Americans, the great and powerful Ellie Elephant is here on the show. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me, Paul. Now, we might have a slight delay, um, but I'm really grateful to see you, to see you safe. Um, you know, full disclosure, you're a dear friend of mine. You're a trusted advisor. We've worked together on many veterans causes. You're on the board at IAVA for a long time and, and helped a lot of us here in the States. Um, and now you're, you're deep in it in, in Israel again. Um, but let me start with a, with a first question. Uh, where are you and how are you? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm okay. Or as, uh, or maybe I should say we are not okay, as Mayor Adams would say, but, but I am in Israel and I am safe and I am healthy. Uh, and so is my family here. Um, no doubt that, uh, Israel has been through, uh, perhaps one of its toughest, uh, challenges and events, uh, that are still, uh, playing out and, um, and unclear how they how they end uh and unclear what the direction is so these are tough times in israel uh but i'm here and i'm well and um happy to be on the show so when when this all happened you're one of the first guys i was in touch with and and i knew it was only a matter of time before you you'd go there and you'd be there you're always kind of where the the leadership is needed you did the same here in the u.s um but you're an IDF veteran, you know, you are now, uh, I, I believe, an American citizen. Of, you have dual citizenship, right? You married an American woman. You've got three beautiful children in New York, and you sit on both sides of this. Um, but can you start, Ellie, because I know the story. Uh, you also generously helped me and a group from IAVA go to Israel years ago to see the entirety of it. Um, and now that's come full circle. Um, but can you talk about your personal, you know, origin story? Talk about where you grew up in Israel and how you ended up in the U.S. Absolutely. Um, just born and raised in Israel. Was born on uh, Mount Scopus in Jerusalem, um, which I visited today. Some of the uh, some of the injured uh, uh, soldiers uh, in this recent event. It was an interesting full circle experience. I don't think I've actually visited that hospital since the day I was born. <laughs> uh, but I grew up in a small town between Jerusalem and, uh, and Tel Aviv. Uh, I, like every uh, Israeli citizen, spent the, served in the military. I served as a, I started out um, in the Special Forces, became an officer, and uh, spent approximately six years, 1996 to 2002. 
had some uh, very interesting uh, training sessions and interactions with American Special Forces, which I still draw on and I recall uh, enjoying very much. Uh, I fought at the time in what was the second, the, you know, the prolonged 18-year campaign in southern Lebanon uh, at the tail end of it, and subsequently left the military in 2002, honorably discharged, went to college, traveled a little bit like every typical Israeli, went to college. Uh, and when I graduated, uh, had the opportunity to come to the States, I was initially going to pursue a master's in the U.S., and got recruited into a private equity uh, firm, and uh, I've been there ever since. I later got my MBA at Kellogg. Uh, but in 2006, the second Lebanese war broke out. I was already a, uh, a young analyst in uh, New York City, living, living a life of, uh, that I didn't know before, and uh, I flew back to fight in that 34-day war and to lead uh, the team that, that was then under my command. Um, so this, this time, uh, it wasn't all that foreign of an experience. That being said, I'm too old and too obsolete. So, and have no Gaza experience. So they did not call me up. Uh, that being said, didn't prevent, I don't think it prevented me uh, from, from mobilizing. I've been living in the States and kind of on both sides of this, as you, as you've identified um, very much uh, both an American, an American and an Israeli and love to, uh, find the ways that those the two countries interact in a in a favorable and a positive way um you know i studied politics i studied uh, international relations so um as a result also very tied into the political system and the uh, and the way things work on both sides of the um of the uh ocean so to speak you um you know, I don't know if folks fully understand how many uh, IDF veterans have really been supportive of the American veterans community um, after 9-11. I think you've really, you were one of the first guys to step up and, and help me and help us at IAVA. You understood uh, what we were dealing with when we went to Israel. We visited military sites, but we also went to, um, you know, social programs that were helping folks with, with PTSD. And I remember saying to someone, you know, how do you deal with veterans who have PTSD? And someone said, over here, everybody has PTSD. You know, that's what it's like when you have to live under rocket attack on a regular basis. But you, you know, you've really been, I think, a powerful advocate for America and also a liaison between Israel um, and, and U.S. forces and, and a measured, thoughtful, reasonable voice uh, at a time when I think this is so uh, radioactive and, and polarized. Um, I, I want to ask you, Ellie, you know, you're, you're a businessman now. You've, you've had a successful business life here in the U.S., I mentioned you've got two little kids and a wife that you know grew up in Florida. Um, talk about why 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 you're there now. What are you three three kids? Did I say three two three three kids. Um, talk about why why you're there and, and what you've seen so far. Right, take us over there beneath the headlines and tell us what you think Americans need to see and understand. So I think um, there are many on you know we. Can use the term unprecedented, but I feel like that's one of those words at this point that's just rolling off my tongue too many times. Uh, these events are unprecedented. The way American Jews feel in the United States is unprecedented for the first time. And there really is a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, I spent about 37 days in, in New York since this started mobilizing around how to help uh, Israel recruited uh, about 360,000 reservists, which is a substantial amount. It is a recruited society, as you mentioned. 
the bulk of which were training and preparation uh, for Gaza. But Israel's military doctrine has always been a multi-scenario doctrine, meaning a, a northern front, a potential southern front, and um, in Gaza, a potential uprising of Arab Israelis within the West Bank. So Israel's basis point is, or baseline for that matter, is a multi-scenario um, attack on Israel. And that's basically what Israel has mobilized for. That's actually what the United States has mobilized, uh, has identified and mobilized uh, in, the, in the region. And that's why the support of the uh, Biden administration has been unprecedented. I'll use that word again. Uh, I think in all in all of uh, history, and that bond I think is very clear to identify uh, specifically this time. Uh, the attacks on the southern on the southern uh, communities in Israel from Gaza were something no one's ever seen before, uh, equivalent to uh, many use the term Nazis. Um, I'm not sure that's accurate. I think. There's a discussion of whether this is similar to the pogroms in Russia. I'm not sure this uh, that's uh, that's accurate. In fact, I'm not sure the term terrorism is accurate. Although its entire the entire objective of terrorism is to plant fear in a in a society, uh, much like 9/11. Uh, it, it is symbolic, and it is its goal is to have a 10x effect um, on the population. My Upper West Side, New York. New York City community uh, and the Jewish community in you know the United States spent the past 37 38 days in absolute fear with um, not going to dinners concerned about what events how to how to potentially make sure your child doesn't seem Jewish uh, People are being asked, "Are you are you Jew on the subway? Are you Jewish and do you support Israel in a, in a, in a taxi ride?" Uh, there've been protests. There've been pro-Palestinian protests that, from my perspective, are primarily uh, born of ignorance as opposed to actually real anti-Semitism. But again, I'm not an expert. Uh, college campuses are problematic, and this uprising is on a macro level, both in the United States, Europe, and Israel, extremely concerning. That being said, the micro is Israel's battle with, with Hamas in Gaza and potentially Hezbollah on the northern border. And a very distant or, or relevant question mark about Iran and the existing Arab Israelis within the West Bank. I needed to see it firsthand. Uh, I needed to bring people that are part of uh, a larger business network to here to understand what Israel's going through. And the tr truth is, Paul, it's actually very interesting. You feel better and safer here. Mm. Israel's military is strong. Uh, it's very clear that the, the, the country, which we can talk about in a minute too, which has been in political disarray over the past 40 weeks, eight months of protests against what Netanyahu has led as a judicial reform. I don't, I don't pretend to have the 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 hindsight's 2020 i'm not sure how much that contributed to these attacks and to these plans i will say when you are perceived weak by your enemies that is generally a good time to attack 
So uh, there is no doubt that that played a part here. Uh, to what extent, I'm not sure. But the political environment in Israel today under this campaign, this war is united. And it feels good to be here. It feels good to be close because um, it feel, feels good to know what's happening. There are still a lot of really difficult question marks. Iran, Hezbollah, what are the Arab Israelis going to do? What's going to happen in the West Bank? Uh, what's happening with the hostages? These are tough, hard questions that no one really, um, and I've spent now time with former heads of Mossad, Shabak, uh, institutes that research uh, globally counterterrorism. And the biggest takeaway that I have is there aren't really good answers at this point. Now, that doesn't mean can, I, can I pause you? And can I pause you there for a second? Um, and I think that's a really important context. And for folks who are listening or watching, Ellie's in a difficult spot, so we may have some patches of, of difficult audio or video, but that's a testament to his flexibility in making this happen, and I'm grateful for that. Can, can you ground us in where are you right now? There are, like, kids' toys behind you, and can you talk about what you've seen? We've seen it on TV, right? We've seen pieces of this. We've seen clips in here. But can you take us? You said you wanted to see it for yourself. Um, what have you seen that other people need to, to see too? Um, again, I don't want to use real slogans here that, that don't necessarily make a lot of sense. Uh, the southern communities of Israel that, that neighbor Gaza and that have been living under rocket fire for the past you know, 15 years, since the keys to Gaza were handed to the Hamas more at this point, 18 years. Uh, and everyone's kind of gotten used to that down south. Everyone's gotten used to that environment where rockets fly, you have 15 seconds to get to a shelter, and then you go back out to plow your field, pick the, pick the fruit off the trees, do what you're doing in these agricultural communities uh, that are neighboring to Gaza. Uh, we went down to Kibbutz Berry. It's a, uh, it's still one of those old communes. It's still a kibbutz. Uh, one of the few that has not been privatized. They actually have a print business that, that keeps them, that keeps them successful. And you're walking through a very pastoral setting of, you know, garden, garden style, garden style homes with bikes outside and, um, and, and gardens and grills and, and, washing machines that are on the back sides of the house outside, uh, grass, backyard, decks. And what ultimately unfolds as you continue to walk through these communities is what looks like a guerrilla warfare attack on a pastoral um, white picket fence guard community like never before. RPG uh, holes, uh, grenades, Houses that have been burnt down from from within to try to smoke people out. Families, uh, un, un, unarmed civilians that have that have sealed themselves in safe safe rooms. Uh, atrocities um, that are, you know, I, Paul, you you and I have both seen devastation. We've been in war zones. Uh, there, there, you get used to it. Some people can't stomach the. The smells, the bodies, other people have a problem seeing, you know, structures that are, that, that seem to be, you know, that seem to be, that should be intact, you know, a, a kindergarten 
a uh, a mess hall, a, a clinic, a uh, someone someone's you know suburban home uh, destroyed in a way that the problem walking through the fence, green grass, American suburb, and uh, and when those two come together, it, it's kind of harsh. Right. It is not a it is not a battlefield. It's not a field in the middle of somewhere. It's not close quarter combat in a in a refugee camp or a uh, or an area that has been devastated. But it is you know someone's home, some community. It's someone's olive tree that they that they were someone's garden, uh, and very hard to see. Um, it's also the first time that I've seen this tactic of guerrilla warfare in this close quarter environment, right? Uh, with missiles launched, grenades. Uh, and, and that's why I think it was very hard for these communities. First of all, the military didn't show up. The military was overwhelmed in other, in other places. Uh, civilians, there was a rapid response team and they, they mostly died in most of these places because they just couldn't withstand 40, 50, 60 of these terrorists uh, bombing and showing up with these kinds of ammunitions, landmines, they booby trapped bodies. So when you went to rescue someone, uh, and that, that it was, it's an atrocity at a level that is, that is, uh, indescribable. I mean, I think it's really important as a soldier and as someone who's lived in the States for you to describe this because it's a slaughter, right? Like, you know, people say terrorist attack, even, even your term guerrilla, it's a slaughter. Right. It's a guerrilla attack, heavily armed people blowing apart civilians who have no shot. Right. Like that is the likes of which we really haven't seen. Uh, definitely not in the States, except maybe in like a school shooting. Right. When defenseless kids are just mowed down by someone who's heavily armed. So I think that that, that piece of it has gotten through. But I also feel like, frankly, like it's fading already in the United States, where so many people are almost desensitized to violence overseas. And now we've got this precarious place where there's, you know, it feels like civil unrest almost here in the, in the streets. We've got division in Congress. You're, you're an objective uh, political thought leader. You know, you think about these issues. What do you say to the people, myself included, maybe, who might say, hey, Israel has every obligation and, 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 uh, and right to defend themselves. How they do it is the key. And are they going in too heavy right now? Have has the response already been too heavy, you know, because they have the whole world on their side like we did after 9-11. And now, obviously, we don't know where this is going to end up. We don't know what Gaza is going to look like in the end. Netanyahu is less popular than George Bush was. Right. We know these pieces, but um, it feels like like there is a sense, at least in, in, in allied countries and maybe with Netanyahu, that they initially went in too heavy and now they're trying to correct. Um, but what is your what is your take on it as as a political thinker, as as a veteran and as a as a father of a family? You have also family members in the IDF right now. Um, you know, objectively, this this precarious moment where Israel is trying to keep the world on its side, but feels like it, it it's lost its high point. What what are your thoughts on that? Look, I feel very I feel very bad, and I think this perhaps may not be the most popular statement made. I feel. Terrible for the women, children, and civilians in Gaza. I do. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a terrible war is a terrible thing. 
No one said it's ugly. No one said it's it's a it's a surgical, uh, pretty uh, environment that you can operate and get everyone you want. That being said, Israel is one of the most, in my opinion, and not only in my opinion, subjectively, is one of the, is one of the most moral militaries on earth. I've not heard of anyone who calls a building they're going to bomb before to make sure civilians and, and children leave that building multiple times. I've never heard of a military uh, dropping leaflets on a uh, on on an entire civilian population asking them to move south. I've never heard of a humanitarian corridor created so that Hamas can use it as well. But yet Israel is doing that. Uh, this, this Gaza has been, and let's not let's also not forget that that exact strategy is what Hamas uses as a as a as the at this point most vicious terrorist organization. Uh, they use the civilian population. They don't allow them to escape. The ones that don't support them, the ones that do help them. They do not dress. This is a breach of international law, by the way, right? This is this is a breach of the Geneva the Geneva laws. They dress in jeans and t-shirts and pretend to be civilians and pull out an RPG. Uh, they have tunnels under hospitals. These, they, you know, there were discussions and debates of whether they exist. On, of course, they exist under hospitals. Of course, they exist in schools because Israel will not bomb those places or has not bombed those places without. You know, previously has not bombed those places and is being extremely careful even now because that's an excellent way to hide in a very dense population and a very dense 26 miles by five um, piece of strip of land. Uh, it's enabled them to be extremely successful. The United States does not have this kind of enemy at its gates. We rarely share borders. I mean, the U.S. shares a border with Canada and Mexico. And I would argue that if either one of those launched a barrage of 10,000 missiles into, in, into the United States, um, I don't think there would be a question about civilian populations. Uh, I don't think the Allied forces um, gave a rat's ass about how many civilians there were in Dresden. I don't think when Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened, I think. Truman was referred to as an act of kindness, actually, right? It was referred to as an empathetic, uh, empathetic something, that kind of move to end everything was, um, was unprecedented. I've, I'm not suggesting any way, shape, or form that a nuclear weapon be launched on, uh, on Gaza and, and, or, or, or that it needs to be carpet bombed. I am simply pointing out that Israel's at war, 1,400 dead civilians, 7,000 injured, rockets continue to fly from, from Gaza into, into, into the state of Israel, northern, a northern border that is, uh, that is erupted. Israel's in a state of war. The economy is, is shut down, right? Real estate companies don't have workers to build. Uh, retail, there's no, there are no airlines flying into the state of Israel, aside from El Al, the government-owned, partially-owned uh, airline. That is the only airline you... 
right? The state, you can't fly a private jet into Israel right now because you cannot get underwriter insurance. Uh, there are a lot of things. This is, this is a real war. Uh, that being said, being in Israel, you understand how strong Israel is in its ability to deal with, with this kind of conflict. And it's going to take time. The message is time. Uh, and I'm not sure how the government's going to deal with that. I'll say, I'll say the, the last thing I'll say, Paul, is it took 10 to 12 hours for some of these communities to get, to get help from the military. Uh, and in those 10 or 12 hours, some of the most heinous acts that you can think of were committed. Uh, and uh, on party goers, on a, on, a gen, on, a, on a young population dancing in the desert, and on, on, on communities, on civilians, on women and children, uh, and on a, not, on, not on military targets in any way, shape, or form. And there's a lot of distrust and lost faith in the government and the leadership that has brought us here from the leadership in the military to the intelligence agencies, the Shin Bet and the Mossad, and in the government. And where we were focusing, it it is almost like the internal strife, the political debate, which Jews and Israelis always like to kind of do to get to a better result. That internal strife uh, almost was almost like Israel's population and society forgot the jungle that we live in. And thankfully, the military very quickly came to its senses and now is conducting an operation in a very successful manner, which may take a lot of time to eradicate and destroy Hamas. What the, what the people on the street and what the population in Israel now wants, both on left and right, right? This was a, this was a, a country that was very, there was in a lot of conflict. But right now, overnight, on a dime, everyone's united behind one cause, and that is victory. This needs to stop. This needs to change. The future of Israel depends on it. Ellie, can you um, take, can we zoom out? Because I think you, you have a, a good understanding of the complexity of the global environment. And, and, you know, we were a couple of weeks ago, we were battling over support for Ukraine. Um, and now there's been, I think, for the most part, at least in Congress, uh, tremendous support for Israel and probably will continue to be tremendous support despite protests in school campuses and in places like New York and others. I mean, I think the political um, leadership is pretty strongly behind Israel. However, there's kind of a, a, especially among maybe the speaker and the new speaker and others, hey, we can't support Ukraine because we've got to support Israel. Some are making it a choice between the two. Um, Do you see it that way? And if not, can you explain why? I, someone said something today, Yuli Edelstein, who was actually in the Likud party we met today, uh, said something interesting. He said, we have this false assumption that wars in the future will be fought by humans on keyboards behind screens and will end very quickly with very little, with very little human casualty. Uh, clash of civilizations, the, the, Francis Fukuyama, the end of history and the last man, a lot of these, the, this, this debate that was happening in the 90s the geopolitical, about the geopolitical environment. And yet we are in 2023, we have an 18-month war in Ukraine, and now, a, now this, which is not something that's going to end soon. We have unrest globally, 
questions about China and uh, North Korea. I have to go back to that simple notion that even though we are in 2023, there still seems to be an axis of good and an axis of evil. Uh, and it seems to be shifting in a, this most spectacular way to being on one side or the other. So we know that Russia, for a fact, at this point, is in bed with Iran on certain things. We know that axis is now happening through, you know, we, we know these these small regional small or these regional battles are now being being fought by proxies of Iran from through Syria in Hezbollah and Lebanon, uh, Hamas in Gaza, and this is a problem even for the Arab world, even for the Arab world. The Saudis want to probably march forward into the future while the Iranians want to blow everything up. So I absolutely see a connection here between Ukraine and Israel and everything that's happening globally and this axis of evil being created, or this axis of good versus axis of evil. And it's, it's, it's actually amazing to watch. I don't think Putin is good, and I think Europe is going to have a very similar problem that Israel has in a couple of years. Uh, that's why you're seeing a tremendous amount of support from the UK Prime Minister. Uh, and I think it's aligning, it's aligning that way. I actually believe the Saudis and, and some Arab, some of the Arab countries have hold the keys to some of these, uh, some of these problems if they make choices that advance, that advance them and everyone else into the future, synergetic choices. But it'll be very hard. And, and look, I'm no, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not. I have no in, inside information on this in any way, shape, or form. But as soon as three major battleships show up in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, you've got to realize there's a bigger picture here at play. I think I think you've you've framed it up well. And I think you know I've been hard on President Biden at times, but I think he's been really masterful in framing that up. I thought his speech laying out the global landscape was the best speech he's ever given. I talked about it on this show. I talked about it in other places. Ellie, you know, let me, let me ask you to, to wrap this uh, all together at the end. You know, you're my friend. I love your wife. I love your family. I love your family in Israel. You know, I'm lucky to have you and your family in my life and in my family's life. Uh, and I know, you know, how deeply impacted you and so many of my friends are by this in so many different ways. And I also know America, right? And you know America. And you know that a lot of folks aren't going to be clicked in, right? And Thanksgiving is coming and they're going to click out for, you know, a couple of days and, and they're not going to be immediately connected to Ukraine or immediately connected to Israel. Let me just ask you on, on a very personal level, um, and I know it might be hard, but what's Thanksgiving going to be like for you and your family this year? It's a great question. I think for the first time, Thanksgiving is going to be very different, or um, perhaps for me for the first time, very hard to hold to, to do anything. I think it's going to be very similar for the last 38 days, less restaurants, less events, um, more head down. How can we help? What can we communicate? How can we explain what's going on better? Who can we lobby with so that they actually understand what, what, what occurred? Because this is a complex Middle East. Um, personally, very hard for me to imagine myself sitting on a beach somewhere, uh, vacationing or taking the time off with, with my family, uh, 
while my two brothers are serving, one up north and one one uh, down south, and my brother-in-law is actually inside Gaza with his with his uh, reserve um, division. So difficult, and it may be difficult like this for a while. I don't put it past Thanksgiving. I mean, let's talk about New Year's, mm-hmm. right? Let's. I mean, this is this is going to last for a while. Can I can I ask you one last question because you have a lot of wisdom to share always, and uh, you and I can always thank. One of the many amazing twists to our friendship is we've got Dr. Ruth Westheimer to thank for making our our connection. Ultimately, we were at a Shabbat dinner and uh, Dr. Ruth told me that I needed to talk to you and that you needed to take us to Israel so we could see for ourselves. So, you know, shout out to Dr. Ruth. um, And 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 she's amazing. But she's you know, she's one of many people who kind of carry the stories. You carry the stories. What are you telling your kids right now, man? What are you telling your kids about this moment? You've, you're raising kids in New York and you talked about all these issues, but you got to break it down for little kids. And, and how, how do you explain this to them? That's a tough one. Um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in, in giving your kids the information they need that is appropriate to them at the, at the relevant age. Uh, so my four-year-old um, doesn't know anything. But when I when I cry and play with him, he senses something's wrong. And the problem is when I'm when I'm playing with him, I see the four year olds that are that are in captivity, and that's my emotional. Um, I'm emotionally compromised, which is probably why I'm not a very good soldier right now, mm. um, or or I wouldn't be a very good soldier right now. But others others are. Uh, you have kids, you know, man, when you have kids, it's, uh, it's a whole different level. It, it compromises you, uh, in a lot of different ways. So I try to spend as much time as I can with them and deal at their level. What do you tell the older boys? Yeah. The older to understand that Israel is, uh, the older to understand that Israel is in a really tough spot, that Israel has been attacked, that Israel's mourning, uh, and that Israel and the Jewish people have a 4,000 year of history and ultimately will prevail. And that what's very important right now is to support Israel and to make sure that they are proud Jews and they're proud of what their country stands for and support it in any way they can. So my oldest is on student council and he'll do his, he ran for student council last, last week. I said, great, what's your speech like? He said, they're doing presentations. I said, bullshit, you're doing a speech. <laughs> and he said, that's right. I'll do a speech. And I said, or what are the three things that are important to you? And he said, well, the first thing is we're going to mobilize and do something for Israel. I said, great. What's point number two? Point number two is we need longer recess. Okay. <laughs> and what's point number three? We need more snacks. I said, excellent. That's a great platform. Go for it. Because I also didn't have any time for him because I was working on trying to get supplies to Israel. And sure enough, he calls me on Tuesday and says, Dad, I won. 75% of the kids in my grade voted for me. Everyone voted for me. I had 15 votes more than everyone else. So that's wonderful. So he's going to mobilize at his level. And he's going to try to do, if you can get out to, to protests, anytime you can tell your story and what that story is. And this is why, Paul, I think, to wrap it up with you, we humanity is not all that different. right? The American... The American military and the Israeli military fundamentally fight for good. War is an ugly thing. Bad things happen. It is, it is a given. 
but there are so many similarities and so many, not, not even similarities. We fight for the same cause. We fight for the same things. We fight for life. And the other side doesn't. And when we realize that, that there's one side that wants to move forward and take us forward, I think we're all united behind that cause. And that is uh, the simplicity of what my children need to hear, right? We're for, we're for peace. We're for rights. We're for, we're for equality. We're, we're for freedom of speech. We're for all these things, but we are prepared to fight against someone who wants to take them away from us. And that, I think, is the message, that, that, that the simplistic message that I give my kids. You, your kids have all got my vote. Uh, you know, you've got my vote. We, we, you and I share a lack of affinity for our mayor here in New York City. So maybe when you come back, you can run for mayor. But you, you're, 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 you're a very powerful voice. You've been such a great advocate for so many causes in the U.S. and now, you know, in, in Israel especially. Um, I think you're a fantastic voice for Israel. I think they should put you on TV a lot more often than other voices, uh, especially because you understand, you know, the American side of this as, as well as the Israeli side. Uh, and I'm just grateful for your friendship, man. I, I love you, uh, appreciate you, and we stand with you, and we stand against Hamas, and we stand with your family. And, and, and against any of the hatred and nastiness that's happening out there. And I hope you're safe. And I'll, I'll save you a turkey leg uh, for next year when we can celebrate victory over Hamas. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. All right, Thank bro. you. Be safe. Stay vigilant. How do you say stay vigilant in Israel? I don't think you do. You just stay, shal stay shalom? Stay Stay vigilant. What would, what would stay vigilant be? You don't really say stay vigilant. That's not a parting. Uh, <laughs> you just say shalom. Now it, now it might have to be, right? Oh, yeah. Be ready. I'll be just ready, say shalom. Man. Shalom. That's it. Shalom. That's what we hope for, man. Shalom, brother. That's, that's, the, best way to, that's the best way to part ways. Shalom, brother. Bye. Shalom. times like this where there's fighting in the streets and there's fighting in congress and there's fighting in ukraine and there's fighting in gaza it's easy to get lost in the midst of all the fighting well no matter where you stand on this issue i think you can understand and appreciate that ellie elephant is one of the helpers always look for the helpers there were there will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines if you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there, so keep looking for them, folks. And if you see one and you want to tag it for me on social media, use the hashtag look for the helpers. And be a helper yourself in any way that you can, big or small. And be sure to help us by going to independentamericans.us. Check out the video of this episode with Ellie and all our previous archives, including our recent conversation with Sebastian Younger, Pete Buttigieg, and others. And be sure to subscribe on every platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you're listening to my voice right now. And if you're thankful this Thanksgiving season, share this with some friends and family that you love. Tell them to check out Independent Americans and be a part of our growing independent movement. I'm going to continue to mix up the format with conversations and my personal takes on the latest and most important news. Let me know what you think of that. 
And of course, big shout out to our Patreon members, especially who help power this content. Check us out at Patreon and at independentamericans.us. And if you're not yet a member of our Patreon community, come check us out. Throw in a couple bucks and help us keep it coming. And stay vigilant, my friends. We've all got to stay vigilant, especially when there's so much crazy fighting happening. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. We're all in this together. Especially now, as we all try to punch through it. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.